everybody a happy Father's Day. <laughs> well, we started a new series last week on prayer, and uh, we're going to be over in Matthew chapter 6 today. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. But before we go there, I uh, came across an interesting article on the uh, internet, Funny Questions That Need an Answer. So I thought I'd share a few things with you this morning. How is it that we put a man on the moon before we figured out that we could put wheels on luggage? Good question. Why is it that people say they slept like a baby when we all know that babies wake up like every couple of hours? Why do you have to put your two cents in, but it's only a penny for your thoughts? Where does the extra penny go? I actually think I know the answer to that question. It goes to the government, probably. <laughs> Why do toasters always have a setting on them that burns the toast to a terrible crisp, which no decent human being would ever eat? And for a certain generation, this is a great question. If the professor on Gilligan's Island could make a radio out of a coconut, why couldn't he fix the hole in his boat? <laughs> if corn oil is made from corn and vegetable oil is made from vegetables, what is, where does baby oil come from? Just a thought. What disease did cured ham actually have? Then the last one, did you ever notice that when you blow in a dog's face, he can kind of get mad at you, but when you take him for a ride in the car, he sticks his head out the window? <laughs> Those are some funny questions that uh, don't seem to have answers, and last week we began to talk about prayer, and we said, you know, there just seems to be certain parts of prayer that, that we don't understand. They seem to be puzzling, and we have these questions that uh, we don't seem to have answers for. For example, don't you think, I think this sometimes, that sometimes God seems, this is from a human perspective, that God seems to have a kind of a weird way or a weird priority on prayers. For instance, let's say you have a friend that is unemployed and they've been looking for a job. And they have been looking for a job for a year. And you have been praying with them, and you have been praying with them like crazy. God, they need a job. He's a great guy. He's a great family man. He needs a job. And you've been praying on their behalf, and other people have been praying on their behalf. But the job just doesn't seem to be coming, and you're still praying for them. And then one day somebody walks up to you while you're still praying about this guy's job, and they go, Hey! Would you pray that my daughter gets into XYZ sorority? It's one of those, like, I don't know how you handle those things, but of course you're not going to say, no, I'm not going to pray about that. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll pray about that. You mumble a prayer or something about, you know, I hope she gets into the sorority or whatever. And like I said, I don't know how you handle that. But, you know, being a preacher, everybody kind of has something that you want to pray about and there's like really no way to like keep up with it all. Shouldn't have said that out loud, should I? <laughs> but people think sometimes that, that just because you're a preacher that, that somehow you are holier than thou and 
and you have this connection with God that's better than everybody else's. And I can assure you that is not true. But I do want you to give me your prayer requests, and I'll do my best to keep up with them. And let me just, just, just say something here. This is not what the sermon's about, but just let me add this little caveat. If you will write it down and hand it to me, it helps so much. Because I'll probably get four or five requests before I get out of here today. And this is what happens. I get home and I'm like, whose grandmother was it I was supposed to pray for? And then somebody else, I remember, oh, so-and-so gave me a prayer request. What was that prayer request? And you just can't remember them all. So if you will write them down, I will be more than happy to pray for your prayer request. And, and I love doing that kind of thing. But it helps a lot when you write them down. And uh, so going back to the whole sorority thing, um, you know, and I'm not discounting that kind of stuff. If, if my daughter, college-age daughter, ever wants to be in a sorority, you know, I'll have the whole church praying about it. No problem. Because those kinds of things are important. Relationships are important. But you pray for the sorority thing, and boom, she gets into it. And you're kind of like, God, this guy needs a job. This is really important. I've been praying for it about a year. God, couldn't you just like maybe take some of that energy that you use for her to get into the sorority and, and like and like help my friend get a job? Or maybe you've been praying something simple, like, like finding your car keys and you find your car keys. And then there's these prayers that you've been praying for people with serious illnesses like cancer and things like that, and nothing's happening. I don't understand that. You probably don't understand that either. And, you know, sometimes when those kind of things happen, some people are just, you know, well, it's just a big flip of the coin. Each is up there flipping his coin, deciding, you know, what prayer request he's going to answer. Or some people, they're just like, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to stop praying. And then other people, they just keep praying because they're afraid to stop praying. And we don't know how it all works, but we, you know, we want it to work, and we keep hoping that we find the right combination or the right key to the vault, so to speak, or that we find the, the right keys to put into the machine to get whatever it is that we want out of them. And then still other people will say things like, well, if God's not answering your prayer request, tell me if you ever heard this, it's because you just don't have enough faith. And that's a great cover for God, right? But Jesus kind of messes that up like he does a lot of times when we think we have things figured out. Because what is it Jesus says about faith? If you have the faith of a what? A mustard seed. A itty bitty mustard seed. Have you ever been to a healing service or, or maybe watched one on TV? A few years ago, just kind of out of curiosity, I turned on Kenneth Copeland's thing and, and uh, TV show. And there was all these people there kind of up at the front that had all these different injuries or sicknesses or been maimed or whatever. And, some of them are in wheelchairs, and some of them are on walkers, and some of them are on crutches, and several of them are laying in those gurneys, you know, like you see them wheeling, you know, in ambulances into the hospitals and things like that. And there was all these people there, and this is what he said in, in a nutshell. It's your fault that you're like this because you don't have enough faith. And I thought to myself, that can't possibly be right. I mean, thinking about what Jesus said about the mustard seed and thinking about... What, what is this subjective level of faith that you're supposed to have? I mean, we're, 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 what is it? Because Scripture certainly doesn't say any certain amount. How do you measure that kind of stuff? And then I think, again, well, these are also the same people that are asking you for money. 
so that they'll pray over you. And I think to myself, you know, I just think God has a special judgment for people that are defrauding people in the name of Jesus. I, I, I really, truly think that. So we have all these kind of questions, right, about, about prayer. Just, just these types of questions like I just kind of mentioned. What if someone taught us how to pray? What if someone did that? You know, I don't know that most of us have ever been taught to pray. We sort of copy what we hear other people pray or how you've been raised and Maybe you kind of pray like your parents pray. Maybe you have a book of prayers, and that's kind of been your go-to through the years. Or, or maybe you have some of those formula-type prayers that people have, and, and nothing wrong with, with any of those kind of things. But what if someone taught us to pray? What if there's more to prayer than just give me? God, I need this. Give me this. I, my kids need this. Bless me. Bless the missionaries. What if we're missing the boat? What if, even though we've been praying all of our lives, we really don't understand how God wants us to pray? I think sometimes we don't want to think that way because we're afraid of what we might discover. And it's really fascinating to me that in this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today, that it's the only place in the Bible where someone teaches someone else how to pray. And it's also fascinating because the people that are asking this question are the disciples. And they're saying, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now think about the disciples that are asking this question. I mean, these are Jewish boys. These are Jewish guys. They have been praying their whole life. Since the time they could walk into a synagogue. Since the time they could talk, they were taught prayers. I'm assuming these guys probably knew hundreds of prayers. But then they hear Jesus pray. And they're like, we don't pray like that. Now our prayers are like these memorized, robotic, rote prayers. Jesus is not praying like that. I mean, he, he's talking to God. There's an intimacy to his prayers that we don't have. There's, there's a fierceness to those prayers that we don't have. There's an intensity that we don't have. And they see that and they sense that from Jesus. This would say, Jesus, teach us to pray. That's interesting. And it's also fascinating to me that most of us have never been taught to pray. I haven't. Nobody ever taught me. I've just kind of observed the way other people do it. So today we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about prayer. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. It's referred to as the Lord's Prayer, famous Lord's Prayer. You've probably seen it posted up all over the place, stores, houses, businesses, hospitals, that kind of thing. It's actually 66 words. There are two passages in the New Testament that talk about it. One's in Luke chapter 11 where it starts by the disciples asking Jesus to pray. And then the other is over in Matthew chapter 6. So we're going to go to the Matthew chapter 6 passage because Jesus gives some additional information at the front end. And we're going to start there by looking at that additional information that Jesus is talking about as it relates to prayer. And so we're going to begin in verse 5. It says, When you pray, 
Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. So Jesus begins to talk here, and the first thing he talks about, he says, when people pray, there needs to be a place. That's, that's the implication here, and he's going to elaborate that on a little bit more here in just a few moments. You know, I think there are a lot of places that you can pray. I mean, you can be in your car, flying down Interstate 75 at 70 miles an hour, putting your makeup on and your cell phone is ringing. You can pray there. You can pray on the school bus. God, please, 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 no quiz today. Please, God, no quiz today. You can be driving home and praying, God, please let my parents be asleep. I know I'm past curfew, but please let my parents be asleep. Please, please, please. I mean, I really do. I think you can pray anytime, anywhere. Yet when Jesus gives instruction on prayer, he kind of mentions a place. And he goes on, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you that they have received the reward in full. What is he talking about here? Well, he's talking about those that are praying in public to be seen. He says those people that are praying to impress other people, they have already received their reward. What is their reward? It's whatever they receive from me. Whatever applause, whatever recognition they get. Hey, good job. We're impressed with your vocabulary. That was such a great prayer. You were standing out in the rain praying for an hour. Oh, that's so great. That's awesome. We were impressed. God said that's their reward. And that is all their reward. But then he goes on and he says, But when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. So does this contradict what Jesus was saying or what we were saying earlier that you can pray anywhere? Well, interestingly enough, there's never any record in Scripture that Jesus goes in a room and prays or in a closet or anything else. Now, he does go in the wilderness, and I think, you know, the wilderness is the desert. I think I'd rather go in a room, but we do have that. So what is it exactly he's talking about? Well, I think it's a twofold thing here. There's a twofold emphasis. One, he's talking about your attitude, not trying to impress other people. You know, through the years being a pastor, people will sometimes come up to me just every once in a while, and they'll make comments about a prayer, usually not my prayers, but, but just another prayer they might have heard or something like that. And sometimes those comments are real kind, and sometimes they're kind of mean-spirited. And I think to myself, regardless whether they're kind or being spirited, it's like, wait a minute. That person wasn't talking to you. They weren't trying to impress you. They were talking to God. It doesn't matter what you think about their prayers, whether it's good or bad. It doesn't matter. None of us should ever pray to impress someone else. And then there's a second part here that, that he is emphasizing. And this is so important. It is so important. There is so much value in getting away from the hustle and bustle of life when you pray. If your prayers are always spur of 
spur-of-the-moment type prayers, then most likely your prayers are going to center around yourself. I need this. God, give me this. My kids need. I'm in a pinch. I'm in a tough situation. God, I need you to bail me out. I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves. If you are just doing reactionary <laughs> prayers, is what I call them, to whatever's going on, on the, in the day's events, your prayers are most always going to center around yourself. Yes, Paul talks about praying without ceasing, and certainly there are times that that's very applicable, very appropriate. But if that's the only way you're praying, then your prayers are pretty much always going to be revolving around your situations and your reactions. He is talking here about a time and a place. He's talking about just the opposite of reactionary <coughs> prayers. He's talking about a discipline that involves setting aside time and setting aside a place. And that prayer is different because then it's not just reacting to what is going on around you. If you want a prayer life that's not about the next test or about your dating life or, or your job performance review with your boss, set aside a time and a place, and it will change your life. Think about it this way. Renee and I have a great marriage. At least I think that. I don't know if she thinks that, but I think that. But let's say our only conversation always centered around just the hustle and bustle of life. You know, who's picking up the kids today? What time is supper going to be? How come the sink is leaking again? I've got a meeting on Tuesday night, so I'm going to be late. What if, what if that was all our conversations revolved around? Just those kind of conversations. I mean, I could be five feet away from her in the living room and feel disconnected with her. Have you or your spouse ever said or maybe thought this way? I feel distant. And there's no arguing going on. There's no conflict. There's no problems. Everything seems fine. But you just feel distant and disconnected. It's because there's a difference between juggling the daily art of living or just hopping in a car with your spouse and driving around for a while and having conversations. There's a difference between just juggling the everyday hassles of life, so to speak, and going down to Lowe's and just talking and dreaming and walking around for hours until they say, we're closing in 15 minutes and you two have a body and then you leave. That kind of idea, because that's what we're made of. There's a difference between taking a weekend or a few days to go up to Pigeon Forge and the conversations that you have there versus talking about kids in just everyday life. They're different conversations. One deals with living in random acts of life. The other deals with the intimate details of a marriage. That mirrors what God wants from us. You can talk to God the rest of your life if you're not careful and never feel like you've really connected with him. And that connection takes place when you're not just reacting to the day's circumstances, but you're setting aside a time and a place. That's 
that's what he's talking about here. Notice what else he says. But when you pray, go into your room, close the closet door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward, reward you. This word reward means to, to repay, to pay back. I know some of you are thinking like, well, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm all about that. Like, if all I have to do, if the reason my prayers haven't been answered, all I have to do is go into a room and, and God will take care of things, I'm there. I mean, if that's what it takes to get my finances straightened out and just put myself in a room and pray, then I will do that. If that's what it takes for her to say yes, I'm there. If that's what it takes to get my health squared away, I'll do it. You know, if the magic could just close that door, then, then, then I'm all about it. That's not what this, this means. It's not a carte blanche to ask anything you want. There are times that God doesn't answer our prayers, and we're grateful. Have you ever thought back to maybe some of the things that you prayed for when you were a teenager? Like maybe when you were 16, 18, 22 years old, things that you might have prayed for. Sports cars that you probably would have killed yourself in. You know, a boyfriend or a girlfriend that you, that you wanted to date, and you look back on it now and think, what was I thinking? God didn't answer those prayers and we're grateful. But he does say if you, if you get yourself in your room and you make it a habit, he will reward us. He amplifies it in verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. This word heard means to be taken seriously. So you can translate it this way. They, they think that they, they will be taken seriously because of their many words. Jesus is saying, I don't care about the words. I don't care about the volume of your prayers. I don't care about your fancy vocabulary. I don't care if you use theological terms. This stuff doesn't matter to me. It just doesn't matter. I bet you've heard this too. You've heard people pray, because I have, that when they prayed, I mean, it just sounded like they had grabbed a hold of heaven's gates and were shaking them. And I mean, you were just like, from, from, from my perspective, I was so impressed. And maybe two years later, they've had an affair, they don't even come to church anymore, or whatever. Because words don't impress God. It doesn't impress Him at all. And he kind of gives us the key in verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. And our response is, well, what's the point of praying if he already knows what we need? Why do we even do that? And if that question has ever crossed your mind, you might be on a breakthrough for prayer. You might be on the verge of a, of a breakthrough. Because you are realizing it's not just about asking for a whole bunch of things for yourself, that it's, that it's not a good luck charm, it's not a rabbit's foot, it's not a just-in-case, it's not a covering-all-the-bases kind of thing, it's not a gimme, gimme, gimme. God already knows all that stuff. And yes, it's okay for us to go ahead and ask. But there's more to prayer than just asking for things. So what else is there to pray about? What else is there? I've covered the needs. I've covered the wants. 
But Jesus already knows about them. So what is it I need to be praying about? That's what Jesus is going to talk about. And he starts off by saying, this is then how you should pray. Yes, the asking is part of it, but it's not all of it. So he says, this is then how you should pray. And it's interesting, when the disciples asked him how to pray, they asked him to, how to pray. They didn't ask him how to preach. You ever think about that? They didn't ask him how to lead worship. They didn't ask him how to take care of the poor. They asked him, how do we pray? So beginning in verse 9, he gives this great example of how we ought to pray. And this is not the prayer. It's not necessarily a prayer that we need to memorize. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not the only prayer that we can pray. Because in the King James Version, it actually, actually translated, translates it in this manner. So it means it's like a skeleton. These are the pieces that need to be part of your prayer. But it doesn't have to be exactly these words. So he says, we've got the gimme stuff covered. This is the other part of how you need to pray. And we're going to divide it into two parts. And we're going to cover the first part this morning, just a little bit of it. Verses 9 and 10. And then we'll cover the rest of it next week. But the first part is this. This is the first thing he mentions. The purpose, the, the purpose that he's going to mention first, the purpose for prayer is to declare God's greatness. And he begins by saying we need to pray to our Father. It's interesting in Scripture. Seventy times we have record of Jesus praying. Sixty-nine of those times he starts off with Father. Only one of time he does it, and that's when he's hanging on the cross. And he says, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? All the other times, it's my father or our father. You know, there's some significance to that. You ever wondered, why not some other terms? Why not Elohim or Adonai or Almighty or Creator or something, something like that? Because our father signifies intimacy. It signifies a special relationship. And you'll notice it's our. Our, you know, the liberals would have you to believe it's everybody. It's not. It's his children. There are no personal pronouns like I in it. It's our. And that father, our father, signifies significance. I want to ask Sean to come up here for a minute. He has no idea what we're doing this, but that's just one of the advantages of being a preacher's kid, right? So come on up here, Sean. Yeah, he's getting really nervous. <laughs> come up, come on up, all the way through. So this is my son Sean. As you can tell, it looks like Dad's going to be the shortest of all the McNulty boys. The other two have already passed me up. But you know, Sean is my son. There's a relationship here. There's an intimate relationship. I'm not just some random guy. I'm his father. He's my son. Now, when you think about our Father when you're talking to God, is, that the, is this the image that you get? I mean, I think sometimes we think about, you can act like you're okay. His <laughs> Father <laughs> said, okay, I'll pat him on the back. <laughs> I think sometimes we think like he's just this big random guy in the sky. Or that... You know, he's just the big kahuna up there, and he's flipping a coin, you know, to see, you know, which, which direction he's going to go with our prayer request. 
or you know, maybe he's the big boss and he's unapproachable. But this is my son. And when he approaches me, there's a relationship. I'm not some random male that he's talking to. I'm not some guy that doesn't care. I'm not unapproachable. I'm his father. He's my son. There's a relationship, a real relationship there. And God is making that, that similar comparison. Jesus is making that similar comparison. He says, our father. And think about the significance of that. The word father, the word dad, comes with privileges. comes with responsibility. You can sit down. I mean, <laughs> but it comes with those kind of things. Just, just think about it. There's nobody else that can ever call you dad except your kids. Everything, you know, my son Travis, when he was little, there was a couple two-day stretch there where he kept calling me Dennis. <laughs> I'm like, Travis. Finally, I had to stop him. I thought I'd go away after the first time. He last a couple days. I said, Travis, you and your brothers and sisters, you are the only ones that can call me dad. You're the only ones that can call me father. Nobody else gets that privilege. Everybody can call me Dennis. But you're the only ones that can call me dad. You're the only ones that can call me father. So it's the, 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 there's, there's significance there. And there's something else that's <laughs> worth mentioning, too. There are things that, that Sean can come and ask me about that he's not going to go ask other people about. I mean, if he needs to borrow the car to go on a date, I mean, he's not going to come ask Billy. Billy ain't going to lose his car. Right? Who has Josh Chapelier or whoever, Daryl Wampard? He's not going to do that. He's going to come ask me. And I, I might or might not say yes. <laughs> if he needs money, $20 or whatever, I'm going to say no. But, no but he has that right to come to me because there is a relationship there. There's, there's an intimacy there. It's a special term, our father. It denotes intimacy and privilege. It's, it's unique. So when you think about our fathers, is, is, is that the image you get? Because that's the image that God wants us to have. That's what he's talking about here. The second aspect is this, verse 9. says, hallowed be thy name. And that shows that prayer is for his glory. Now you think about the word hallowed. What does that mean anyway? What is hallowed? I mean, you know, sometimes words kind of come and go and they kind of fall out of use in, in our language or sometimes the, the meaning kind of changes. Uh, I think I've shared this with you before, but when I was in college, I was looking at a yearbook one time. It was a 1963 yearbook. No, it was not my yearbook. It was 1963. And uh, there's this picture of the debate team of our college climbing on a bus to go to a debate competition. And the description underneath the picture said... Gay debate team boards bus. That's not, yeah, that's pretty funny. That's not a term that we use anymore to describe those types of things. I mean, that word has changed dramatically in its meaning. So sometimes words change. Sometimes they just fall out of usage. Well, that's kind of the way the word hallowed is. It's not a term that we use anymore. I mean, I think about hallowed, I'm like, okay, Halloween. Or I think of hallowed like, like a, like a, like a brick church, all shaded with ivy climbing up the side and Gregorian chants and that kind of thing. That's what I think of. But hallowed actually means to make holy. And of course, we don't make God holy, but we recognize his holiness. 
So when we say, hallowed be thy name, we're recognizing God's holiness. And again, you know what that does? It takes the focus off of ourselves and stuff that we might need or want. And it puts the focus on God. It shows reverence and it shows honor and it shows appreciation for what he can do. You know, sometimes we have to be reminded of whose presence that we're in. I had to remind my kids several times, all of them, different times when they were young. They just get real careless about praying, even saying blessings and stuff, and just very flippant. I say, look, you're talking to God. It's like, not your buddy-buddy type of situation. You are talking to God. So we recognize His holiness. And then the third part is in verse 10. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Again, we're not just to concern ourselves, or we're not to concern ourselves with our will, but what is His will. It's not about rubbing the little genie and praying for whatever we want and hoping the genie pops out of the bottle and gives us our three wishes. It's not the old motto Burger King has, have it your way. It's about His way. Have you ever noticed the newborn baby? How everything revolves around Him. Sean was just up here a minute ago. When Sean was born, he cried for the first two years of his life. I kid you not. He just, you just couldn't make him happy. I mean, we change his diaper, we clean him, we feed him, we burp him, we, you know, do all those kind of things. You know, you think the fifth child would just be happy to be a McNulty, but no. <laughs> but newborns, that's the way they are. Now, a lot of them grow out of it before two years, Sean, but anyway. <laughs> it's all about them. And sometimes we don't change much as we grow older, and our prayers tend to be all about us. The scripture is telling us it's not about our agenda. It's about his agenda. We pray for his will to be done. That means whatever you wish, God. Like whatever you wish for my children, I want that for them, not necessarily what, what I want. God, my finances, I want your will to be done. If you're not married, God, I'm okay with being married or not being married. And we pray for his will. So that's the first part. Prayer is for his glory. To, to magnify how great he is. And let me just kind of close out with this thought. I knew a person, or I know a person, that bought a brand new car. And they've had that car for about three years. And then one day, someone told them, or they, well, someone told them that their car had a parallel parking feature where the car would park itself. They had the car for three years, and they didn't know that. Did not realize that. You know, there's a button you push or something, and car just, you let go of the steering wheel and it just turns itself and pulls right in and parks the car perfectly every time. Or at least that's the way they say on the commercials. Well, this person never realized that. So every time they parallel park, they've been doing it the way we had done it 20 years ago. Pull up, back in, pull forward, get out, hope you're close enough to the curb. If you're not, get back in the car, start all over again. That kind of idea. And the whole time, they had this feature in their car that they didn't even realize was there. I wonder how often when it comes to our prayer life, we don't realize there are more. There is more. We're just praying about ourselves all the time and our friends and the people close to us, but mostly it's just kind of a 
eventually it boils down to gimme kind of stuff. Don't believe me, look at our prayer request sheet. That's pretty much all that's covered there. And that's not necessarily wrong. But like parallel parking that she didn't feature that she didn't realize that there's so much more to prayer than that. And we don't see it. And so Jesus is telling us, when you pray, I already know about all the gimme stuff. I want you to acknowledge in your prayer life who I am, and you need to do that by having a time and a place. I don't think we do that all the time. I don't know that we do it often. I think we say a few thank yous a lot of times, a praise or two, and then we just get on to the things that we need, or the things that we think other people need. My challenge to you is this. This week, try setting aside a time and a place. I don't care how long it is, that's between you and God. I don't know that that, that really matters. But when you set aside the time and the place, then it's not going to be so much about you. It's going to be a lot more about Him because you're just not reacting to what is going on that day. Because He's teaching us first how to be by name. Just kind of camp out there for a few minutes. Maybe your attitude's great that day and you don't have to stay there very long. Maybe you start and you realize, man, I'm not, I'm not anywhere where I need to be with God today. And you need to stay there for 30 minutes, hour, whatever it takes, do you realize that you did your work? You need to be. Because that is so much a part of prayer. 